Hi, it's great to be with you again as we travel through our series on life-changing lessons in the parables. And today we're looking at a parable, a story that Jesus told that is recorded for us in Luke's Gospel in chapter 5. And the occasion is that the religious leaders come to Jesus, they come to confront him about something, and he uses, um, he weaves like three little metaphors about a wedding, about some wine and about some clothes, as a weaves them into a story to answer their question. It's one of those parables which is a little bit hard to understand at first, but it really pays to think it through because when you understand it, it's also got a powerful message for us today about the difference that Jesus can make. Let's jump in and have a look at it. So we're in chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel and starting at verse 33. And it is the, it says in verse 30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to Jesus and they come to him and they make a statement. It's really an implied question. They say, John's disciples often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. There's an implied question there. Why don't your disciples, your followers, your apprentices, Jesus, why don't yours uh, behave in the same way that we see the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees? A disciple was really like a, a, a learner, a, a, an apprentice, one who was following the way of the master. So why don't those who follow you behave in the same way? Why don't they fast? Why don't they pray like us? Well, in scripture, we do, um, there are many examples of people fasting. Uh, it wasn't so much a commanded thing, but it was a way. It was, it was, if you like, a discipline that people entered into. And when we read about it in scripture in the Old Testament, we see people enter into a time of fasting, of refraining from eating when they were going through deep periods of grief, when, when God um, felt distant or when God's deliverance felt distant. Uh, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law had turned it from something that we could do to something that um, followers of the Jewish religion had to do. And in fact, the Pharisees used to fast on Mondays and Thursdays. They would put white ash on their face so everyone knew that they were fasting and they would look somber. Um, and so they come to Jesus and say, it doesn't look to us like the people who follow your teaching take their religion seriously. You know, why, why don't we see them doing something like fasting? Why is that? And so Jesus says to them, well, he says, you wouldn't fast when the bridegroom is there for a wedding feast. And what he means is it's like in the first century, when people got married, it wasn't like a ceremony followed by a reception. Instead, the reception, the feast, was the ceremony, and it could go for up to a week. Instead of the bride and uh, sorry, instead of the groom and the groomsmen waiting for the bride to arrive, as we do today, then it was the bride and it was the guests who waited for the bridegroom to arrive. And when the bridegroom arrived, the feasting would start. The if you like the extended ceremony, and the bridegroom and the bride they were like king and queen. They even sometimes wore crowns. Now, in such a situation. Um, of course, you would never go to a wedding celebration in the first century like that and refuse to sit down at the table and to eat and to celebrate with the, the bridegroom and his bride. Uh, to, to do so would be inappropriate, it would be insulting, it would be as if to pass judgment on the, 
on the marriage and on them. And so Jesus is, is playing with this metaphor and he's saying, my disciples don't fast and wear white ash on their face because they're not in grief and they don't feel like God is distant and they don't feel like they're far from God's deliverance because in the presence of Jesus and his ministry, God had come to humanity. God was dwelling amongst his people. Um, God had come as the deliverer. Now we see lots of people in scripture responding appropriately to Jesus's ministry. I think of the woman at the well who, you know, when Jesus told her about how if she put her faith in him, um, then instead of like drawing water at a well, it would be like her life would well up with goodness and to, the, to overflowing. And this woman, she puts her faith in Jesus and she runs back to her village and tells everyone, you know, she's filled with great joy and wants to talk about what Jesus has done in her life. Or there's the tax collector who, when he comes to believe, you know, he's so excited about the new life that he's got in Christ that he he actually says almost immediately that he will repay um, all the people that he ripped off as a tax collector, all his ill-gotten gains, he's going to give them back. He's so excited. Or the disciples who jump in boots and all to follow Jesus, giving up their old way of life and stepping into this new life. So some people responded appropriately, but to the Jewish leaders, the message that Jesus brought of forgiveness, of healing, um, of burdens lifted, of faith rather than works-based doing all this, you know, law-keeping and sacrificial system. The message that Jesus brought was seen as a threat to the established ways, the ways that had been established by the Pharisees, the religious teachers of the law. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there, he actually goes on and talks about two other things. In his, in his story, he uses a metaphor about clothes and about wine. Now about clothes, he talks about how you wouldn't take um, an old piece of clothing and then you wouldn't take a new piece of clothing and cut it up to fix the old. I mean, imagine, imagine you've got an old coat hanging in your cupboard and it's old and tatty and it's got stains that um, just won't budge anymore. You've tried to get them out. They won't come out. So it's stained and um, it looks tatty and it's even got a tear or two, maybe, you know, in the shoulder um, from leaning too much or gaining weight, uh, maybe in the hem where it's gotten caught on your shoe. It really needs to be replaced. So you buy a new coat. Now, when you buy that new coat, you're not going to say to yourself, I know what I should do with that new coat. I should cut it up and I can cover up the stains on my old coat and I can fix the tears in my old coat. You wouldn't say that. Um, that would, you know, it wouldn't look good on the old coat and it's going to ruin the new coat. He goes on and he talks about wine and wineskins. And to understand what he's saying in this metaphor, you kind of need to know a little bit about first century winemaking. They didn't have bottles and it seems like they didn't have big oak barrels in which they fermented wine. Instead, what they did have, clever of them, they had goat skins. Goats, they used to pour their pour their wine, their new wine, their grape juice into goat skins. I'm thinking of like a hot water bottle shape, you know, like so it's kind of like it's kind of loose and it's got a it's got a lid on it. And the, the beauty of goat skins apparently, I mean I'm I'm really grateful that they don't make wine like that anymore, but that we do have glass bottles. Um, they, the beauty of the goat skin was that goat skin still had some give in it. And so they could pour grape juice into 
the goat skins and as that juice fermented and became a beautiful wine there was still enough give in the goat skin that it could the fermenting process could expand within that goat skin and then once fermented they could you know enjoy the wine but it wasn't a recyclable process it seems like goat skin only had so much give and then it would become tough and have no give no stretch at all so if you took old goat skin and you poured new wine into it the fermentation process of expansion and so on would actually crack the skin and the whole thing would be ruined so what I think that Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who've come to him, I think what he's saying is the ministry that he's bringing, the message that he's bringing of God's favour, of God's grace, of new life by putting faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, this, this new way of um, entering into God's presence, this new way of relating to God, was so different to their old ways, to the old sacrificial system, the old way of the only way to please God is by doing good, 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 trying to be as good as you can. And then when you inevitably fail, as you do because you're human, the way then is to offer sacrifices to appease God. It's so incompatible with the message of forgiveness and grace and favour and new life that Jesus is bringing that it can't simply be patched on. You can't you can't can't patch on the message of Jesus onto the old system. Um, the message of Jesus about if you want to be right with God, then just repent and put faith in me as your Saviour and Lord, it's not yeah, it makes the old obsolete. Um, and it's so big. You know, it's such an enormous message for all of humanity. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his son that all who believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That message is too big to fit into the old ways which these religious leaders were so committed to. Um, so Jesus is saying that the old sacrificial system, the way of religion, all of their laws have in a way become obsolete, have been replaced by the new way of grace a new way of being saved through grace, God's grace to us, through our putting our faith in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, it's so big it can't be contained in that old way. And the sting in the tail, I love the end of his parable where he says to them, but no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. How many times with the old ways are better? They were so invested in their old ways, their, their, their ways of the sacrificial system and law-keeping um, that they couldn't even understand. They couldn't even read, read the time that they were in, the, the times in a spiritual way. They couldn't understand it. And they didn't see that Jesus is like, Jesus is the bridegroom, come to be with his people. Um, it's a time of great celebration, a time of God's favour. That's a sting in the tail. They were over-invested in that way. Um, he says, you're rejecting my teaching, not because it's not true and right and wonderful, but because you are invested in your old ways, in your old habits. Well, it's 2,000 years since Jesus shared that story with the religious leaders, the religious people of his day. But I think it can speak to us today 
because I want to ask us two, two, two questions as well. I want to ask us the question, are we reading the time that we are in spiritually correctly? Are we able to discern what time we're in? Um, are we able to discern God's, are we in a time of God's favour or not? I mean, we're in this, in the midst of this terrible pandemic that's spreading all around the world. And it's easy to feel, um, as Christian people, it's easy to feel a sense of grief right now. We can't meet in our churches anymore. Um, we can't gather together at the moment. Our church buildings are empty. But I want to suggest to you that it's not a time to actually grieve the emptiness of our church buildings because we are God's people. We are the church. You know, in the Old Testament, the old ways, people drew near to God by going to the temple and by offering sacrifices. In Jesus's presence, in the incarnation of God, in the person of Jesus Christ, and in his presence with the disciples, God was with those disciples in the in the person of Jesus. John's Gospel, the start of John's Gospel talks about how the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us is literally what it says. The temple came to God. God came to his people. Um, and so all who followed Jesus were in his presence. That's why they were so joyful. We, well, we're not in the first century, but we are the people who possess the promise of God, the promise of Jesus Christ, that after his ascension, he would pour out his spirit on God's people. We now are the temple of God. It says in, in the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22, in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are, the, we are the dwelling place of God. And we look forward in the future, like when you read the book of Revelation, the new heaven and the new earth, um, there's no temple in the new heaven and the new earth because God, Father, Son and Spirit will be amongst us. Um, all those promises um, will be consummated. For now, we are God's spirit. We are the church, okay? It's not, the church buildings might be empty, but we are God's people. We are God's church. Um, that is actually an occasion of joy, and I hope that you won't think it inappropriate of me to say, as we read the times, we can still have great joy as God's people. Um, the Apostle Paul had great joy, even amidst terrible circumstances. He wrote this letter, the book of Philippians. He wrote this letter to the church at Philippi when he was in prison. He was in prison. And how would you like to be in a first century prison? Not I. <laughs> um, he wrote from prison, and yet the key word in his letter is joy, joy, rejoicing and joy. He, he rejoices because despite his circumstances... He sees the good news about Jesus going forward. He rejoices because despite his circumstances, it's been an opportunity for God's people to show their generosity to him. And that just fills him with rejoicing as he looks at their lives of increasing faith. And so he writes, I say to you, rejoice. Again, I say it, rejoice. I think that reading the Times now, we ought not to grieve too much about the emptiness of our buildings, but rather to be knowing that we are God's people, dispersed as we are, we simply find need to find new ways of being God's people at this time, of responding to this context. Um, yeah. 
All right, the second question I want to ask us is, is the criticism that Jesus leveled at the Jewish leaders um, that they were over-invested in their old ways, blinded by them, in fact, and therefore unable to understand and respond to his message of God's grace, can the same criticism be leveled at us? Because um, isn't it true we get so committed to old ways? And to me it seems like the default human religion is the religion that says I've got to earn everything that I get. I've got to earn every good thing in my life. And when I arrive on God's doorstep, wherever that is, um, I'm going to be able to say to God, I lived a good life and that's why, you know, I should get into heaven. Isn't our default way of being humans to to work our way to every achievement? Um, and so what a radical message it still remains that Jesus stands and says, put your faith in me, he says, put your faith in Jesus and God will pour out forgiveness and grace and blessing into your life. He's not saying you can live any kind of lifestyle you want. Um, the law is a good thing. Uh, the law, which can be summed up as love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's a good thing. But as we look at the Old Testament and the sacrificial system, the system of law keeping that we read about in the Old Testament, the law was good, but the law also brought condemnation because no person could keep the law. And even today, none of us will go through our lives and at the end be able to say, you know what, I loved God with my whole heart, mind and soul and I loved my neighbour as myself. If we were able to say that, then we wouldn't be able to see around us the great... Um, the, the, we wouldn't be able to see the poverty that we see in the world. We wouldn't be able to see the treatable diseases. We wouldn't see the family violence. The, the point is the law is good, but we can't keep the law. And so what did God do? God came in the person of Jesus, as, of Jesus Christ. God came in human flesh and fulfilled that law on our behalf and then paid the debt that we owe uh, through failing to, to be to be good people, paid our debt and rose to new life so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have new life ourselves, so that we could enjoy the gift of God's Spirit because that's the promise to all those who put their faith in Jesus that he will fill us with his Spirit. So is the parable saying to us, to you and to me, are you over-invested in the old ways of relating to God? Or could your life with God be described as a life of walking faith in Jesus Christ, of enjoying the presence of God through his spirit? Could the metaphor that describes us be like we are new wine, in new wineskins, bubbling over, um, there's a great thing talking about the spirit in the New Testament. We read about how, yeah, we've got God's spirit and we, we're, we can, we're continually experiencing this filling of God's spirit. Um, let me finish with an illustration. Um, a couple of years ago, Sven and I, my husband and I, we often used to do this diet. It was called the liver detox diet and it was an absolute diet of deprivation. No meat, um, 
no fat, no sugar, no chocolate, no wine. Of course, those things were replaced with really good things like lots of water and lots of greens and raw vegetables and juicing. But it was predominantly a 10-day period of great deprivation. Shortly after doing one of these diets, I conducted a wedding and was invited to the wedding reception, which was at this magnificent restaurant called The Italian at 101 Collins Street. And at the wedding reception, we enjoyed this degustation menu. Uh, I can't remember exactly what was on it, but I just remember it as one of the best meals of my life. Cured salmon with horseradish cream and capers and, and snapper fillets with baby buttered potatoes and, and beef carpaccio. And I mean, it just went on and on and on. A beautiful Merlot. It was finished off with a panna cotta with raspberry sauce and, and a latte. It was just this magnificent meal. So I want to say, like, does your life with God feel like a liver detox diet or like a degustation menu? Because God is inviting us into a banquet, so to speak. And on that, in that banquet are things like forgiveness and favor and blessing and grace and freedom and love. A life where we, as God's people, we try to uphold the law not because it is the not because we have to to earn God's favor. God has already looked upon us with His favor through Jesus Christ, but because God has loved us so much, because God has poured grace into our hearts, we then want to go on loving Him and loving others. Is your walk with God? A detox is it a thing is it a thing about where you just think it's all about deprivation and rule keeping obligation I must I must I must or is it a walk of grace a spirit-filled walk of grace that's the invitation that Jesus offers to us each today let me close for us in prayer gracious Heavenly Father Lord Jesus we thank you for this powerful message that you gave to the religious leaders of the day. And Lord, we hear the power of your message to us. Forgive us. Forgive us for being invested in ways of making ourselves right with God that just don't work. We give them up. We take those burdens off ourselves. We ask for God's forgiveness. We change our ways, we change our orientation in life, not to, I'm going to earn everything. But God, thank you for the gift. We change our orientation to being recipients of the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, be our Lord, be our Saviour. Fill us with your Spirit, that we might be like new wine in new wineskins, that joy might be the feature of our lives. We pray for this in the mighty name of you, our Saviour and Lord. Amen.